Morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to morning worship at Hillhead. Um, our minister, Katrina, is still on leave um, today, and so we are very pleased to have our friend Lionel Gibbs leading worship this morning. Welcome, Lionel, and it's lovely to have you with us again. If you're visiting us this morning too, then we're very glad that you've joined us. Good morning. Can I thank you again for the invitation to come and worship with you this morning? It really is a pleasure. I know that I'm not alone, but in those that you asked to come, there are many of us that look forward to the invite, and we definitely enjoy being here. This morning's call to worship is going to be two psalms from some 133 and 134. The Psalm of Ascents are 15 psalms that we believe that the people of Israel would sing as they went up to Jerusalem for their different festivals. And as the psalms begin at the beginning of Psalm 120, you hear about some of the problems and some of the issues they've faced. You hear them remind themselves of what the Lord has done in their lives. But the last two psalms, as they're getting towards the temple, as they're approaching that place where as a whole nation they come together to worship, they would sing these songs. How good and pleasant it is when we live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collars of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary. And praise the Lord. May the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, bless you from Zion. And as we are gathered here this morning, let us also rejoice and praise the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it is good to be here, to be in your presence and surrounded by your people, our family united by and named after your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. As we are gathered, may we know your presence. May we be encouraged and strengthened. May we also accept correction and guidance. For those of us, Lord, whose weeks have been difficult, may you comfort us and give us peace. For those who have been blessed, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the times of refreshing and we pray that this morning would be one of those times. May your spirit be at work in us and through us to glorify you, ever changing us into your likeness. It is by Christ that our worship is acceptable and it is by your spirit that we worship. Be glorified, Lord. May you rejoice in our praise of you. Amen. This morning's lesson is from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, 
Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the peace that we now gather with which to hear your word and to consider it. We do pray for your guidance and your wisdom and that by your spirit you would speak to our hearts and to our minds. That we would be encouraged and strengthened in those things that we already knew. But you may you also show us something that we maybe haven't thought of before and then show us how to make a difference to our lives. Amen. Romans 12.2 begins with, Do not conform any longer to the passage. I wonder how many times you've heard this verse. How many times you've been told this verse and someone's quoted it you for a reason. Or what the context was. It's a verse I've seen up on billboards and a verse I've seen people put on banners and... Sometimes it's a verse I've heard being quoted at people as, as to why they are wrong and why the person speaking is right. Because, of course, if we allowed our minds to be transformed and renewed, we wouldn't be having such thoughts. We wouldn't be considering such things. But I don't think that's how Paul intended it to be used. The beginning of this chapter tells us the truth. It tells us that in response to God's mercy, we should live our lives in a way that reflects that. We should live our lives in accordance to what we believe God's will is. That unless we do this physically, unless we do this in our bodies, well, we're not really believing anything at all. There is no faith. It's just wishful thinking. It's thoughts. It's ideas. But by living it out physically... We're proving that it's true. And it becomes evidence in itself of what is good, of what is right, of what is holy. Our lives, our physical lives, become evidence of the word of God. Become evidence of God's spirit within us. But when we hear this verse, sometimes we think, yes, we've been transformed. And we, there is a temptation to come up with a new list of do's and don'ts. I've listed things that as Christians, of those that gather in the name of the Lord, of things we should and we shouldn't do. But Paul has just spent 11 chapters to the Romans explaining that because of Christ's sacrifice, 
we have been forgiven. That we are freed from the law of sin and death. That we now live by grace. That we are now accepted. And so it would seem bizarre that having said that we should therefore live transformed lives, that one who himself had lived quite a pharisaical life would then insist that we too now live just by a different set of rules and regulations. But here, as elsewhere, Paul's sign, Paul's evidence that we have been transformed, that we have been renewed, is found in the way that we live with each other. It's not so much about what we eat or drink, what we do or don't do, where we do or don't go, what conversations we do or don't have. It's how we live with one another. That none of us thinks more highly of ourselves than we ought And that together we make the one body of Christ, each with unique gifts and each with something to bring, something of value, something that benefits the whole body. But in what I'm telling you, of course, I'm not telling you anything that you haven't really heard numerous times before. In fact, Paul repeats the message to the Corinthians and spends longer on it, explaining how we all have different gifts and we all work together to make the one body of Christ. Peter takes a similar vein. He writes to a church, he writes to a people that have been ostracized, who have been cast out, who have been dispossessed because of their faith in Christ. And he calls on them to come together as one holy nation, a royal priesthood. But that it is as together they make up the one temple of the Holy Spirit. These are wonderful pictures, they're good illustrations, but it's more than that, it's not just a vision. This is telling us who we are, whether we live like it or not, that we are the body of Christ. But there is something Paul says here that really hits home, that puts a new aspect on it. See, when we talk about these different aspects, that we all have all these different gifts, then it's easy to start to almost think of the church like a a club or like your workplace. And I had to pause this morning because, of course, I've gone back into full-time teaching. And there's that adrenaline and there's that way of speaking to people like a teacher. But, of course, I have a job, and as some of you do here, and I've been given specific tasks, which are not the same as everyone else's, but as long as I fulfill my part of the job and they do their job, then together everything works well. And the children receive a good education and the school gets a good reputation. And of course, wherever you work, you can think the same. Yes, I've been employed to do this, so I do the right thing. And if they do the right things, we all work together, and it's fine. And then if you sit in the staff room, you hear the complaints about the people that aren't pulling their weight. And sometimes we can almost get that impression of church, that somehow we are supporting a tradition, we are supporting a meeting. Now, it's great that we have musicians, and we have people that do the teas and coffees, we have people that look after the children, people that open and close and clean, and these are essential things. And it's great when this is done by a variety of people rather than just one person. But Paul says something here that really makes a bit of a difference, and it's in verse 5. He says, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We belong to each other. I belong to you, and you belong to me. 
if there's anything that challenges our sense of individualism, our independence, our ability to stand on our own two feet, it's a suggestion that we belong to someone else. That we're neither self-sufficient or free to live our lives the way we want to. Yes, I am Christ's. And I want to declare that I belong to him and that he is the Lord of my life. But what about other Christians? Do I belong to them in the same way? See, it's something to say we belong to a club. It just means that we go somewhere where we have a common interest with the other people that go there. You know, if you go to a chess club, you meet people that like playing chess. It may be the only thing you have in common. You don't necessarily have to make good friendships. You go, you play chess, you come away again. It's like that with a golf club. It's like that with many clubs. And yes, you have people take up different positions to keep the association going. But when you say you belong to a group of people, you're talking about your identity. You're making a statement about who you are, about who we identify ourselves with. And at its core, it speaks of a strong and close relationship. The word in the Greek isn't so easy to translate individually in One of the more modern translations says, so we who are a number of persons are one body in Christ and are dependent on one another. It flies in the face of this worldly wisdom that almost encourages people to be self-sufficient, out for themselves, that they do not need anyone else. In fact, we hear it so often that we've got to teach people how to stand on their own two feet. And yet here we have Paul telling us that we are to be dependent on one another. The King James translated, it says, we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members of one another. It's where we get the sayings that he's my right hand man, they're my eyes and ears, you're my legs. When people do things for us that we can no longer physically do for ourselves, we will say these things. But it does make a claim on us that needs a bit of reflecting. And maybe if you're willing, have a look around at the people you're sat with this morning and just think of these words. That you are dependent on one another. That you belong to one another. That you are members of one another. We've often said the church is not an institution or a building. And it's not even just the supporting of a tradition. We always insist that the church is the people, that we who are gathered here are the church, as are those gathered elsewhere. So we may have said we belong to a church, but really what we're saying is we belong to those people. It is something to pause about. The only other time we use this kind of language is maybe when we talk about, well, particularly when we talk about human relationships, is when we talk of marriage. And there we're quite comfortable talking about two people becoming one, sharing their lives together, complementing each other. And yes, there is some changing that goes on. And often one family will claim that their son or daughter has changed more than the other. But when a couple get married, as they grow in love for each other, they change. And as those of you here who have got married and have children will know, there is also that reality. Your time isn't your own. 
your money's not your own. In fact, most of what you do for long periods of time is for the benefit of everyone else in the family. Very little of what you do is for yourself. Hence why maybe Paul calls it a sacrifice. There are those times when one member of the family seems to be the one doing all the work and the one making all the sacrifices, and no, that's not how it's meant to be. And sometimes if we look at certain situations where one member of the family seems to be the slave of the family, then we're quite right to say, suggest that that's maybe slightly abusive, or maybe not slightly. And maybe like marriages, we can also see that when marriages fail, it's usually because the one member has decided, well, I would say stuff this, but there is that attitude that their own life would be much better if only. Their own life would be only much better if they'd never got married. Their own life would only be much better if they didn't have children. For some reason, their own life would be better if it wasn't for the rest of the family. Or as Paul puts it, they think more highly of themselves than they ought to. It's not the only reason, but selfishness. This idea that somehow it's everyone else that's holding you back. That you're better than this. But marriage is a special relationship. It's a unique relationship. So it's maybe wrong to say that when we become one in the body of Christ, when we talk about belonging, that we use the same language. But there are some similarities that we can consider. Firstly, as I've said, if one person in the marriage is the one that's expected to carry all the weight and do all the giving up and do all the, do all the chores, and they're the ones who've had their life suppressed then we know it's abusive. We expect every person in a family to play their part. That there is an element that comes naturally out of love, but there's also an element that comes out of duty, that someone has to wash the dishes. Someone has to get the children dressed. These things just have to be done. Though at the same time, when that's the only aspect of your relationship, then you know it gets your relationship is failing. In the same way in a church, that... If the majority of the church are looking to the same handful of people to do everything, no matter how willing they are to serve, then those handful of people are being used and they are being abused. And when our only relationship with the church come, becomes what we can do, whether we can play the piano, whether we can sweep up, or whether we can put the chairs away, and there is nothing else to our relationship with the church, then we are lacking. Something has gone wrong. But there's also freedom that comes from this, that no one person is expected or should be expected to be able to do everything. And sometimes we need to recognize what our own gift is and do it well, rather than looking at the things that we can't do, the things that we're unable to do, because we're not expected to be able to do everything. And of course, one of the biggest differences between being belonging to the body of Christ, belonging to one another... And being married is, of course, in marriage, I presume. I know it's not the case worldwide. But for most of us here who got married, the person we married was by choice. We met the person. We liked them. We grew in love with them. We dated. We spent time together. And then we got married. We don't choose who is or isn't in the body of Christ. And this in itself, of course, can cause some tension. But it's because of a truth that we need to hold on to. See, in our society, 
To belong somewhere, you have to prove yourself first. If you want to make friends with people, you have to put a lot of effort in. You have to prove to them that you are the kind of person they want to be friends with. You have to show that you've got similar interests, that you like doing similar things, that you're of like minds. And even then, disagreements cause friendships to fail. If you want to prove that you belong in other clubs and societies, you have to show that you are very good at what you do. When Paul wrote to the Romans, this was accentuated even more because they had a very strong class system. People from certain parts of society shouldn't talk to others. People with certain jobs couldn't mix with people with other jobs. People were distinguished on gender, on race, on class, on profession, on all sorts of things. And especially when it came to meetings, these people were not meant to mix. This is an inclusive text. It's quite clear that everybody has something to offer. It doesn't matter how old you are, where you come from, what your gender is, what any of these things, what your job is. There's something that was unique in the body of Christ is it was, some, it was something that appealed to people from all backgrounds, all professions, all class, and all race. But what Paul is teaching here is an extension of what he's taught about our acceptance in Christ. Because in the body of Christ, we are not members because we've proved ourselves first. That just in the previous 11 chapters, Paul has been teaching us that it's by the work of Christ on the cross that we are accepted. It's by his mercy and grace that we are reconciled. It's because of what he has done that we are now one with Christ. And not because of what we have done. That Paul continues and said, and so it should be in the family. So it should be in the body of Christ. That we belong not because of what we are worth. We belong because of Christ's work. Because of his calling. This is a church which has a reputation where people are made to feel welcome. Where people are made to feel like they belong. So please do not think I'm saying this because it's any other way. But we belong because this is where God has called us. We belong because God loves us. His value in our lives means that we are valuable. And each one of us has something of worth to bring. Each one of us belongs. And that doesn't change. And the great thing about knowing you belong before you've done anything rather than belonging because of what you do is encouraging. In a world where people reject one another, in a world where people put their own needs in front of yours, in a world where people are looking out for themselves rather than others, this should be the one place where that is different. This is the one place where everyone belongs. But it's not just a frame of mind. It is a whole life attitude. That's why Paul said that we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And we do this by serving one another. And it is a sacrifice. There are times when we need to put ourselves out for each other. That we let our minds be transformed. That we don't think about our own rights. That we put aside selfishness, unforgiveness, selfish ambition, bitterness. 
Instead, we are conformed by the one who sacrificed all he had so that we could have life. Who gave up everything so that we could become one body. And do not think more highly of yourself than you ought. If there's anything that causes division that continues to plague the church, it's when some raise themselves up as a spiritual authority. It's when some are approached. Often we encourage people to go to one another. When you need someone to talk to, when you need someone to pray with, turn to your brother and sister in Christ. So that means we sometimes need to learn to listen and pray. What they've not asked us to do is tell them what to do. We all have those moments when we need help. It doesn't mean that we are any lesser or greater than anyone else. We belong to one another, but we do not own anyone. It is to the world around us that we become that incarnate body. See, beliefs do not need space. But to many in the world who do not know the word of God, who know nothing of his spirit, when they come into contact with the church, they're coming into contact with the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the one that is the living incarnation of that word. We are the closest that many of these people will come to, the incarnate Christ. That's why we are called the body of Christ. And so we live so that the world can see that we are a people who are different. A people who do care, who do love, who do serve one another. And where each person is valued for who they are. And each person has something valuable to bring. We don't ever cease to talk of the glory of God, but may our lives make it evident that his spirit is within us. That his word is living within us. When we are baptised, we are baptised into Christ and also into the body. Not just locally, but universally. So let us never forget that we belong to one another. I belong to you and you belong to me. I am part of you. And you are part of me and together we are one in Christ. We come together in our prayers for others and in our prayers for each other. Let us pray. O Lord, all the world belongs to you. God of belonging and God of mercy, we bring to you this morning those who are vulnerable and who live in fear for their lives within their own communities and within their own societies, persecuted because of their beliefs their faith, or their racial origins. We bring to you those who are bystanders, caught up in conflicts and tensions between regions, between countries, between ideologies, and between races. We pray that these people will find peace, tolerance, and harmony. O Lord, all the world belongs to you. God of belonging and God of everyone, we bring to you this morning those on the margin of our own communities who do not feel that they can belong, those who may be homeless, those who are discriminated against for various reasons and often for no reason. 
We pray that they may find inclusiveness, acceptance, and your love which is for everyone. God of belonging and God of understanding, we bring to you this morning those on the margins of our own faith communities who are wrestling with uncertainty, troubled by doubts, or concerned that they may not be acceptable. Those who are searching for something that they have yet to find. We pray that they will find your redeeming love, peace in their hearts, and stillness in their minds. God of belonging and God of love, we give thanks this morning and every morning that you have prepared a way for each of us and every one of us, those here this morning and everyone throughout your world, to belong to you, to be part of your community, to be accepted through the redeeming sacrifice of your Son. God of belonging and God of forgiveness, we bring ourselves to you this morning with all our human frailties and failings, with all our uncertainties and concerns. We pray for your loving forgiveness through which you open your arms to invite everyone to be called your friend. Open our ears to hear your word. Open our eyes to see your love. Open our minds to find new truths and your will for us. And open our hearts to receive others as you have received us. O Lord, all the world belongs to you. We pray this morning that you will make all things new and turn all our worlds upside down. Amen. May the Lord God of all power, glory and majesty show you his favour this week. May he give you wisdom in difficult situations and the peace to be blessed. May he be with you, encourage you and strengthen you in all that he has called you to do. And may you go from here with your eyes and ears open to see him, hear him and respond in your heart with a greater love for him.